0: This is Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. A look inside the biggest and most controversial news stories you need to know now. One of the country's most relied upon law enforcement analysts, Vincent Hill. Good evening and welcome to Beyond the Badge. Of course, I am your host, Vincent Hill. And what you just heard was uh, dash cam audio, I'm sorry, body cam audio from Mesa, Arizona. And there was an officer involved shooting that actually happened in 2016. A lot of you probably didn't hear about it uh, because it didn't fit the narrative of the uh, the mainstream media. The individual that was shot, uh, 26-year-old Daniel Shaver, was an unarmed white male shot by a white police officer, uh, shot and killed. You heard five shots there. That officer, uh, former officer, uh, was just acquitted a couple of days ago in the second-degree murder charge um, that he was facing from that shooting. And the officer was uh, Philip Mitchell Brasford, He's 27 years old. He had been on the force for about two years there in Mesa, Arizona. And, uh, of course, the family's questioning the jury's decision. Uh, The public's questioning the jury's decision not to acquit this officer of the second-degree murder. Uh, And I want to dive deep into that. Uh, But first, last week I talked about uh, the Michael Slager case, the former Charleston police officer, That shot and killed Walter Scott uh, while he was running away. The judge came back with a sentence last week. He sentenced Michael Slager, former Charleston, North Charleston police officer, to 20 years in federal prison. And why do you say federal prison? Well, he was actually charged not with murder. He wasn't sentenced for the murder. He was sentenced for uh, violation of civil rights under the color of authority. So basically, that is a federal offense, which got him 20 years in federal prison. And as I stated last week, the jury in the murder trial ended up in a hung jury. They weren't able to convict on second degree murder there. And I've shared my thoughts on the shooting. I've watched that tape a hundred times. I don't agree with the shooting. Uh, Again, a fleeing felon, uh, two things have to be true. One, that the individual, if not apprehended or eliminated, eliminating the threat is an immediate threat to the public. Walter Scott was 50 years old, a guy who had a child support warrant who could barely run as it was. So I I don't think you can articulate that he would have been a threat, an immediate threat to the public had he escaped. And the other is that the individual that is fleeing when you're shooting a fleeing felon has to be a felon. And the original traffic stop definitely wasn't a felony stop. The... Child support warrant definitely wasn't a felony warrant, which wasn't known at the time of the traffic stop and the struggle and everything else. And even the assault, which is not captured uh, on the cell phone video, the assault against Michael Slager uh, would have been misdemeanor battery against a police officer. So, again, when you look at all of the circumstances that he was f- running away from Walter, or, or I'm sorry, from. Uh, Slager Michael Slager Walter Scott was running away from Michael Slager who said that Walter Scott had grabbed his taser and whether he did or not again it's not clear on the cell phone video what's clear is it Michael Slager picked up an object that looks like a taser and placed it next to Walter Scott's body after he had been shot but what's clear in the video is Walter Scott was running away from some distance away when he was shot so it was hard to articulate that he was in fear of his life, Michael Slager, or that the public was in danger. And I think that's what ended up with this, this conviction here. Because again, Michael Slager came back later and said, yes, I used excessive and unnecessary force when I shot and killed Walter Scott. And I think that's what sealed his fate. Well, I think the video sealed his fate, but I think by his admission uh, when he was able to admit what he did, he knew the civil rights violation was coming. So, you know, I guess the the best thing for him to do was to, to just man up and take his punishment as a man, uh, in this situation. So, uh, curious to see if he serves the entire 20 years, typically in federal prison. Yes, you do serve day for day. There is no get out on good time and, all of this other stuff. And I'm really curious to see how he will be treated in prison, uh, given the fact that he is a police officer, given the fact that he's a white police officer, and just the narrative that has been going on in this country for the last eight and a half years as it relates to police. So uh, what I will say is I will caution uh, groups like the Black Lives Matter and the Benjamin Crumps and everybody else not to just start doing the happy dance and popping the bottles, because that doesn't necessarily mean just because Michael Slager was convicted to 20 years for a civil rights violation that every case involving a white police officer and a black individual shot by a white police officer, or a police officer in general, for that matter, is going to end up in 20 years, federal prison or a conviction of murder or anything like that, because each case is different. They look at the evidence the evidence, the law of the land, right? So when you think back to a Alton Sterling who was armed with a gun, who was resisting arrest, who was in arm's reach of that gun during the struggle and police believed and articulated that he was going for said gun. There's no reason. There's no wonder why those officers weren't charged in that case. There was no violation of civil rights there. There's a difference. And even when you look at a Tamir Rice, as tragic as it was since he was 12 years old, when you look at the video surveillance of him pointing that gun at several people, and then as police arrived, he reached in his waistband as they're reporting to an individual with a gun. There's a reason they weren't charged. It had nothing to do with color. It had nothing to do with their race versus Tamir's race. It had to do with the evidence, the law of the land. A jury... A grand jury, a DA, saw that a reasonable person who was responding to a call of an individual with a gun and saw said individual reaching for what they believed to be a gun would react the same way. And that's why those officers weren't charged. So I would really caution all of these groups that are going out and celebrating the conviction of Michael Slager not to start partying too hard because... You're going to let yourself down. You're going to let yourself down hard because you have to look at the evidence of the case. Each case is different. Case in point, let's take it over to Mesa, Arizona. Now, again, this shooting happened back in 2016. Daniel Shaver uh, was in town in Mesa, Arizona. He lived in Granbury, Texas. He was in town on business. Uh, police get a call about someone pointing a gun uh, outside the window of a hotel room. So, of course, what do police do when they get these calls? They show up. So there's three people in the room. There's Daniel and two co-workers. Uh, now, on the, the, the body cam, you can only see Daniel and a female walk out of the room. The female walks out first. Uh, Daniel walks out second. From what I understand from reading some of the reports that are out there, Uh, There was already an individual outside the room. Daniel and the female walked out afterwards and were, of course, as you heard at the beginning of the show, told to get down on the ground. Uh, The entire video that's out on the internet, if you want to watch it, is about four and a half minutes. Uh, The officer giving commands, and you heard the things he was saying, if you make a mistake you're going to be shot. There's a failure to communicate all of these other things Uh, So as you hear the officer tell Daniel to crawl towards him That's when you hear don't and then the shots ring out now, here's what's really important here and I don't want to put myself in the mind of the jurors, but I think I understand what happened here Now when you watch the dash the body cam, I'm sorry when you watch watch the body cam you can see Daniel first put his ha- his arms and his hands behind his back. And you can hear the officer, don't put your hands behind your back. If you do that again, it's not going to be pretty or whatever the officer says. So he tells Daniel to crawl to him. He starts crawling. And at some point, for whatever reason, and I don't know if it's because he was intoxicated and off balance, I don't know what the reason was. Daniel can be seen on the body cam with his right hand reaching towards his waistband. Now again, it could be a hundred reasons why he did that. Maybe he was off balance. Maybe he was pulling up his shorts that appeared like they were about to fall down. I don't know, but you hear the five shots ring out. Daniel basically dies immediately. He was shot with an AR-15 and uh, the officer was charged a few months later with the second degree murder. It went to trial. And the outcome was he was acquitted of the second-degree murder charge. And a lot of people don't understand why. Uh, But again, I look at things case by case, and I look at it by the evidence. Here's what the jury probably was told by the, the defense team, right? That the officers were responding to a report of an individual with a gun inside the hotel room. The individual was given several commands not to do certain things with his hands. He reached towards an area where most people conceal their firearms. So the officer and the officers had a reasonable suspicion that imminent threat against their lives was there. And that's why they fired. And I believe that's what the jury was fed over and over again, that the officers believed there was a handgun or some type of gun at the scene. The individual that was shot was reaching for what the officers thought at that exact moment was a firearm, whether it be a handgun or whatever. They believed that he was reaching for what they thought was a weapon, so they acted accordingly. Remember how I always say, You meet deadly force with deadly force. Now I know there's a lot of people that would say, well, why wouldn't you wait until you see the gun first? Well, because sometimes your reaction time's not that fast. Sometimes you don't know how fast that individual can draw that weapon and shoot you. There's a hundred different reasons of why you wouldn't wait to see if there was a gun there at the scene. So, again, it's these split second decisions that always get questioned. It's these split second decisions that years later at trial, people are trying to digest and apprehend. And it's impossible when you don't know the scenario, you don't know the reasoning, you don't know how you would react in that situation. It's all impossible to do that. Now, there are a few things on, on the the uh, body cam video that I noticed, and maybe it's there and maybe, just on the edited versions that are out on the internet it's not in that piece but i never at one point heard the officer or or other officers there say hey we're responding to reports of a gun are you armed now again it could very well be there because i as i said i believe one person was already out of the room already on the ground before daniel and the other female walked out of the room. So it could very well be there. But in my mind, if I'm there at the scene, the first thing I'm going to do, just like on a traffic stop, when I say, Hey, the reason I pulled you over is because you were doing 85 and 55. When I show up to a scene, when there's reports of a gun, Hey, we got reports that one of you guys is armed. Where's the gun? I didn't hear that in that video. I don't know if that would have made a difference in the outcome. I don't know if that w- would have made a difference in how Daniel reacted. I don't know. I definitely don't want to Monday morning quarterback the officer's actions. But what I do want to point out is you you can't just assume because an officer shot someone that you're going to get an easy conviction, even if that individual was unarmed. Even if that individual is white, even if that individual is black, even if they were Puerto Rican, you can't assume just because they shot someone and they were unarmed that you're going to get a murder conviction because you have to look at the evidence. And if you haven't seen the video, I urge you to look it up. All you have to do is Google Daniel Shaver. Yes, it's spelled S H A V E R. And you will be able to see the video of the shooting. And judge for yourself and put yourself in the officer's shoes and the officer's mindset that you responded to reports of an individual with a gun. And you see that individual first put his hands behind his back when he was not told to. Then you see that individual as he's crawling reach in his waist towards his waistband, I should say, with his right hand while he's just feet away from those officers and then ask yourself If you were a juror or if you were that officer, what would your mindset be at that exact moment, that split second when those shots were fired? What would you do? What would you think? Now, again, that officer uh, was fired shortly after this shooting. Uh, It says for violation of department policy, including unsatisfactory performance. Now, I don't know if that unsatisfactory performance means the shooting or what? I'm not sure what that means, Uh, but I do know the family, the widow, and the parents have filed a wrongful death suit uh, against the former officer, uh, which of course we we knew would come. I mean, you definitely didn't get a conviction for murder, so you definitely have to do what you think is appropriate to try to get justice uh, for your loved one. Uh, So... You know, listening to the officer, the former officer, Brasford, he told jurors during his testimony that he was terrified for the safety of officers and a woman who was in the hallway. Uh, He said he felt incredibly sad uh, because of the shooting. Uh, But I think at one point he said, given the circumstances, he would have done the exact same thing that he did on that day. And Again, like I, I don't want a Monday morning quarterback it and was he justified? Was he not justified? Obviously, the jury said he was justified and you know having been in those life and death situations, for me it's eh, I can see how he would react the way he did based on the nature of the call and based on, Daniel's movements. Now it's graphic, it's tragic, but I can understand at that split second why this officer or any other reasonable officer would assume that there was an imminent threat against their lives or the lives of others. Um, You said you did not expect the shooting to happen or want it to happen, is that right? I absolutely did not want the shooting to happen at all. All right. And we didn't want it to happen when Daniel raised his elbow in this that classic draw stroke you were telling us about. Because he made that action, it left me with no option. I I had to do what was necessary to protect myself and my team in that split second moment. So at that moment, you did want to shoot him, correct? Well, there you have it. That's directly out of the words from uh, former officer Philip Browsford, who was being uh, cross-examined by the prosecutor in this case for the second degree murder charge. And he basically said, you know, she was trying to trip him up uh, saying that you wanted to shoot him. You were acting reckless. You were doing this, that, and the other. And I only played a very quick sample soundbite of it, but he basically said, no, it was the individual's actions that made him believe that there was a threat against him. Cause she mentioned um, moving the, the elbow in a, in a certain movement Which led the officer to believe that he was reaching for a gun. So she went on to say, well, so you did want to shoot him. And you were acting reckless. You wanted to shoot him. That's what you wanted to do. I'm sure she's been in this game long enough to understand that. The officer was reacting to what he thought at that split second. And he actually used the word split second. What he believed to be an imminent threat against his life and the life of the other officers. Uh, So, you know, it's just it's not just me talking about these split second decisions that come back years later to have a million people question. It was this officer at his own testimony at his own murder trial testifying that it was a split second decision because based on the individual's actions, he believed there was a threat against his life. And I always say that. It's not an officer who dictates how situations go. It's the individual An officer responds to the level of threat used against them. The level of use of force that they deem appropriate to end a situation. And of course, when you're talking a deadly force situation, which those officers believe at that time, then it's hard for a jury to come back and convict this officer. Now, again, is it tragic? Yes. Is it graphic when you watch the video? Yes. But thinking in the mindset of that jury, I can understand the acquittal. And thinking in the mindset of that officer, I can understand his split second decision to act the way he acted that given night. But here's what I don't understand. Why this wasn't a much bigger story back in 2016 as it is now that the officer was acquitted. And there is an interview that his wife, the widow uh, of Daniel Shaver did. It's on YouTube, you can look it up. Her name is Laney Sweet, L-A-N-E-Y Sweet, S-W-E-E-T. And in that video, she says something that makes perfect sense to me. She said, why wasn't this a bigger issue? And she simply said, because he was white. Now, some people will say that's racist because she said it, but it is what it is. It's true. It it, it it doesn't fit the narrative that we've been seeing in the mainstream media for so many, many years. And I've said this time and time again, that black people aren't the only ones getting shot by white police officers. Does that make the situation racist? No, it makes it a situation of a split second decision by that officer in 99% of the cases. But she says, well, he wasn't black. And he didn't have these mental illnesses that we always hear about in the news. He was just a guy out of town for work and he was shot and killed. And her statement resonates. And it should resonate to a lot of other groups that still, for whatever reason, believe that there's this conspiracy going on in certain communities or that there's a target on certain people's backs based on the color of their skin based on the fact that the officer's white, I get so sick of hearing about that versus the real issues. Now, what is someone going to say why this officer, this ex officer got off? Are they going to say he got off because he's a white guy that shot a black man? No, they can't use that defense. So what are they going to say, when are people going to look at evidence? When are they going to look at the facts of the case? And truthfully, if the individual Daniel Shaver was black and the officer did exactly what he did and was acquitted based on the evidence and based on what the jury saw, which is probably likely what would have happened right now, the city of Mesa, Arizona would be on fire. It would be on fire because it would be this whole narrative about how it was racial that this officer got off, but simply because Daniel Shaver was a 26 year old white male shot by a white police officer, and it didn't fit the narrative and it didn't bring in ratings. It didn't make the sweeps cut for the media. This this story went hush, hush, quiet until the verdict was read just a few days ago. And that is the true injustice of this entire thing that Daniel Shaver didn't get the same media coverage as a Michael Brown, who we saw robbing a store. Or Alton Sterling, who we saw resisting arrest with police and armed with a weapon. He didn't get the same media coverage as a Freddie Gray. He didn't get the same media coverage as a Tamir Rice. Or a Trayvon Martin, who wasn't even killed by a white police officer. He was killed by a short Hispanic wannabe security guard. But Daniel Shaver didn't get the same media coverage as all of these other cases and all of these other hashtags and all of these people that Colin Kaepernick and the NFL are kneeling for, who's kneeling for Daniel Shaver besides his family when they kneel down to pray. That is the true injustice here. All right, I'm out of time, but it's, it's time for my, my 10-7 segment. And, you know, as I'm, I'm reading over this, I think of, how many countless times this very easily could have been me or one of the officers I've worked with? Because one thing that we do when an officer calls for help or when we're backing up an officer in a dangerous situation, we go balls to the wall, code three to get there, blue light siren, hauling butt to get to the scene. And When you look back and you remove yourself from the situation, you see how dangerous that was and how you easily could have crashed your vehicle on the way to the scene uh, to back up this officer. And that's exactly what happened uh, to Corporal James Eric Chapman, Johnson Police Department, Johnston, South Carolina. His end of watch was Friday, December 8th, 2017. Corporal Eric Chapman was killed in a single vehicle crash on Columbia Road between Star Road and Jet Middle School at approximately 10:30 p.m. He was responding to back up another officer who was dealing with an armed individual when his vehicle hydroplaned. He was ejected from the vehicle as it overturned multiple times. He was transported to Augusta University Trauma Unit where he was pronounced dead shortly before midnight. Corporal Chapman was a U.S. Marine veteran and had served with the Johnston Police Department for two and a half years. He is survived by his wife, daughter, three stepchildren, parents, and two sisters. And again, just like that, it it can happen. And those are the stories that hit home because as officers, man, I got to tell you, when you hear somebody you know key up on that radio and say they need help, You don't think about yourself, you don't think about your safety, you think about getting to that officer to get them to safety and to help them out, but you don't realize you're putting yourself in danger every time you do that, but that is what being a hero is all about, that is what protecting your brothers and sisters in blue is about sacrificing your safety to protect them and the public. So to Corporal James, Eric Chapman, Godspeed to you. Thank you for your service to the country and to the community. My prayers to your family. I thank you, my loyal listeners, for listening tonight. And I will see you next week right here, RadioInfluence.com. Good night. To continue the conversation... Get updates on the show. And to find out when you can see him on television, follow Vincent on Twitter at Vincent Hill TV. That's at Vincent Hill TV. This has been Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. I'm Jerry P. Tuck, CEO of Radio Influence. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for downloading and subscribing to this podcast.